Temperatures and sea levels are rising, species are disappearing, and so are parts of our own communities due to more severe weather patterns. Plastics are filling our oceans with garbage. Will we continue the way we've always done things or make changes and take action? Folks, these are tough times. Welcome to Tough Times with Louie Young on AM 1700 WRCR and WRCR.com. I'm George Patanovic sitting in for Lou with my special guest who has been the town of Havistraw supervisor for the past 20 years and is currently chairman of the Joint Regional Sewer Board and the Rockland County Solid Waste Authority, a management authority known as Rockland Green, Howard Phillips. Welcome, Howard. That. And I want to thank Kevin Thomas Rowe, who's on our engineering board as well. Uh, yes. um, we're up for a really interesting show, and I'm looking forward to talking trash with Howard Phillips. Uh, and we'd expect to be joined by uh, Rockland Green's executive director, Jerry Damiani, uh, very soon uh, to better understand uh, what happens to that piece of trash uh, that we throw out into the garbage and place out on our curb uh, and for re weekly pickup with our paper, glass, and plastic recyclables. But before we do, uh, let's take a walk into the big machine. never put any WD-40 on it. I see lots of red blinking lights on this machine. Um, it, it says, uh, I, I noticed there, says that the U.S. recycles about 68% of its paper and paperboard, about 35% of aluminum containers, but we're the greatest producer of plastic uh, packaging and waste per capita, and the U.S. recycles only about 12%. Americans throw away about 2.5 million plastic bottles every hour. So we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we're going to learn more about that. And, uh, and New York State is responding by making the manufacturers of the uh, plastic bottles more responsible for more sustainable packaging design uh, and the recycling process. So there's more that's happening in New York. But yeah. All right. So I, I think we've, we would like to begin our, begin our conversation. Um, uh, do we have uh, Mr. Damiani on the line? Second. Okay, well, we can begin. Um, so we want to begin this uh, discussion about understanding what is Rockland Green. Uh, you know, for as many years as I've been in the county, I, I, I heard of Rockland Green, but I really didn't know a lot about it, so I'm very happy to have you here. Give us a little thumbnail introduction, at least, until we can get Jerry on the line, uh, about what is Rockland Green, and, and, and as, as the uh, chairman of Rockland Green, uh, maybe you can let us know. So... What they came up with was a great idea, and that was really to join all five towns in working together because the greater the quantity of the municipal solid waste, the lower the cost. So if you remember, George, we had the town of Havistra Sanitary Landfill, the town of Clarkstown Sanitary Landfill, yes. and the town of Ramapo Sanitary Landfill. So all three were closing, and really the decision to close them came from what occurred out on Long Island because most of the, uh, let's call it the geography of there, it was a very sandy, porous soil. So almost all of that would allow leachate to seep through and it got down into the drinking water. So we go out and we create this. I'm happy to say I was there at the inception of this. I first attended the meetings. I became a Rockland County legislator in 1996, so I was Philly's right-hand man at mm -hmm. the time, being director of finance. Yes, I and I have to tell you, what the, the it has evolved into today is com something completely much more dynamic 
the evolution has been really incredible. Yes, it's, it's, it's amazing, and I want to go into that more. But before we go any further on this, I'd like to invite Lou Young is on the line. I'd like to invite Lou in. Uh, he wants to have a chance to speak with you for a minute as well. Thanks, hey, hey, Lou. Lou. I love the Rolling Stone opening too. I want you to know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I keep I'm waiting for a cease and desist order for you know, or, or something. <laughs> ZZ uh, Top I, is normally what I hear when I come on the radio. <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm, you know, this is fascinating. Let, let, let me ask you. I mean, how how many landfills do we have now? Let's say in Rockland or uh, in Westchester, and uh, and, uh, you know, what's the likelihood that your stuff is actually going going somewhere to be buried? Uh, well, that's it, an it, excellent question because yeah. there aren't any more landfills, sanitary landfills, in either county. Everybody is shipping it up upstate New York. But even those prototype-designed landfills with the synthetic liner, they are getting filled up very quickly. So we are... And we have sat down with our consultants. And let me first say the great thing about Rockland Green is the representation. All five town supervisors, by law, sit on that, or I should say by charter, sit on that committee, which is excellent because we're the ones dealing with the municipal solid waste. We also have two mayors that sit on there. We have eight. Rockland County legislators, and we also have two representatives of the county executive. And I have to say, it has never gotten political. It's always been very cooperative. But what we are, what we're future looking at is some type of waste to energy plant. Now, you remember in Westchester they came up with one, and yeah. Now, originally, it was not the best uh, for the environment, only because of the emissions. But the the quality of b uh, breaking down municipal solid waste has improved immensely. Because you have to remember, there is a tremendous amount of mix in municipal solid waste. What every resident puts out on the curb site, or if you're in a condo, an apartment complex, into your containers. A variety of different things which break down at different temperatures or different chemicals or different gases. So it's been a very big challenge. As a matter of fact, the United States Department of Defense and the United States Department of Energy have been giving out tremendous grants for anyone that can come up the and really fuel, right? turn it into energy yeah. or even, yeah. I mean, George Lou, even yeah. if they can turn it into some type of biofuel yeah. or, or air sure. fuel. Yeah. So now you know I, I understand that, that the, the, the problem is that that we're not just burning uh, garbage we're burning the stuff that wraps the food and, and uh, plastic and all that sort of stuff and that that's that's where your contaminants yes. come in like well, there's, there's it's very unfortunate because there are a lot of things that are wrapped in plastic take for instance poultry or or meats that are wrapped in plastic you can't recycle that then that has to go out in the garbage. So that plastic is not recyclable. But at Rockland Green, we send out to every single resident in Rockland an entire list, a brochure, that shows you what plastics can be recycled and what cannot be. Uh, one of the biggest problems we have is that people would take their glass plastic and cans and put them in plastic bags and then tie it up and put it in a container. That's not acceptable. Uh, the plastic bags, I, I think I, is, is our executive director on there? Jerry, are you, you can bring on? bring Jerry in, uh, Jerry uh, Damiani. Yeah, come on, Howard. 
Okay. Jerry, why don't you explain the problem of the plastic bags if people put them in the containers? So Jerry, Jerry is the uh, is the director, executive director of uh, Rockland Green. I uh, welcome on the program, Jerry. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And good afternoon to everyone. Yeah. 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 So for a number of years, uh, plastic bags have never been really acceptable in our programs. Unfortunately, you no know, residents utilize them for whatever reason, and it is a contaminant. Um, and in the process of uh, processing the recyclables, they're set out to the curb weekly by the residents and businesses within Rockland County. That material is delivered to our facility. And prior to decommissioning in 2019 of our existing MRF, a materials recovery facility, those bags would con constitute residual waste, and it would just be sent off to the landfill. Uh, they get wrapped around the shaft. They get wrapped around... Mm -hmm. Some of the equipment. I've seen that, yeah. Labor intense uh, to remove this and it increases the maintenance costs of our partners that operate our facilities on our behalf. Mm -hmm. But, Jerry, now there is a place where people can get rid of their plastic bags. Why don't you explain that? So, we work with the New York State Department of uh, Conservation. Um, when they banned plastic bags last year uh, or two years ago, we we work very hard with them to establish and maintain uh, locations within the county where residents can take their plastic film waste, provided it's clean. It doesn't have any food residue on it. It has no contamination uh, within the bag itself. Uh, and there's a number of them, number of them uh, facilities within Rockland County. The large box stores, let's say, like Home Depot, Lowe's, some of the large food retailers, uh, ShopRite, they all have plastic bag receptacles for clean plastic film waste mm -hmm. at their locations where residents can go in and drop off their plastic film waste. Now, Jerry, if people can't find or if they, I know a lot of people think it's junk mail and sometimes they throw out the brochures we send to them, they can go on our website too. Why don't you tell them what yeah, our website is? Yeah, they can go on rockwoodgreen.com and navigate through our website, and they can find the link, uh, the link to the New York State DEC website that will identify participating retailers in Rockland County. George, I know you were interested in that. Are there any plastics that you want to talk about? Because the, in our brochures, we do break down what is acceptable and what you cannot put in the containers. Well, uh, Jerry, I, I'm curious about what are the biggest challenges in terms of, you know, you got paper, you got glass, you got plastic, aluminum. Uh, and I know that China, a couple of years ago, uh, had a ban on taking certain kinds of paper or certain kinds of material because I think they got overwhelmed with so many different kinds Absolutely. of, and Jerry, they caused some pollution problems there as well. I don't know what impact that had on the on the flow of, of recyclables and the demand for recyclables. And was curious about where you see it currently in terms of the demands for certain recyclables and also the uh, obstacles that you might be facing with certain things, especially it seems that plastic is a possible issue with that. And Jer, maybe explain the, the good thing that we did by uh, having two different containers and how that benefited the people of Rockland. So the industry made a shift two years ago uh, to go to And the idea, the premise behind that was uh, saving. Uh, and and there's, there is some saving perspective to collection. Uh, but when you put everything in one bin, the resident has the feel good. Uh, and they say, well, 
it goes in one bin. I'm going to include everything that's plastic, and that's not the case. Uh, so we we decided a long time ago to say say dual stream. And what is dual stream? Dual, dual stream is fiber, paper, cardboard in one bin, commingled containers in another bin. And it gets picked up on the same day. Uh, some collection programs have it in a split divider truck. Other collection programs have multiple trucks running through the street to collect both, both fractions of it. And, and Jer, those bins are all available at every municipality, right? Right, Rockland Green at no cost. All those bins to every municipality in Rockland County. There was some talk, Jerry, when I was reading about this thing with China that uh, in some communities, uh, it seems like from what Howard's saying, maybe because we do have that source separated, uh, and maybe the impact wasn't as much for us, but some communities actually stopped recycling because they didn't have the place to send it to. But they also, on the other hand, they didn't want to stop people from recycling because once you're in the habit of recycling, they were afraid they couldn't get them to start again. So had that been an issue for Rockland, or, or did that source separation where we do at the curb uh, help us in that case where we still had markets to... Saying dual stream gave us the ability to really market clean material, and that was the premise behind staying uh, dual stream. Single stream, you have a lot of issues if you don't have the right automated equipment. Pull out the fraction that's in the paper uh, and crushed glass that may be in that same bin. Um, it, it considered it becomes a consideration and considered uh, contamination. So our our product is, is very clean. We're at, we were able to work through uh, National Sword and the Green Fence, Fence Initiative yep. uh, that China. Uh, put in place years ago, uh, and that was pretty much predicated on the, the Western countries sending garbage to them. They would bail recyclable material, and it was not recyclable material. Yeah, but it's profitable for, for, for the U.S. to send things all the way over to China and still recycle yeah. and make money. It's hard to believe that, really, you know, in terms of the distance it has to travel. But that's the way it had been done, or has been done, or is, is being done. And, Jerry, even though uh, China was getting extremely particular about their cardboard and paper, because we had such Rocklanders have such clean paper and cardboard, we separated. We also had other markets that we could go to. Correct, correct. We, we, we were not in a position where uh, buyers or brokers... Uh, did not want our paper. We produced a clean number eight news at the time. We produced clean uh, corrugated cardboard, um, and it was very advantageous uh, for Rockland residents and businesses to stay uh, dual stream. Uh, we took advantage of the market, uh, and we never had an issue with marketing all the way. Okay, I'd just like to take a minute to invite uh, our listeners to call in. Uh, this is Tough Times with Lou Young on WRCR AM 1700 and WRCR.com. Uh, I'm George Patanovic uh, sitting in for Lou. This, uh, and my guest is Howard Phillips, town supervisor of the town of Havistraw and chairman of Rockland Green. Uh, and uh, also, uh, we're with uh, Jerry Damiani, who is the executive director of Rockland Green. Uh, if you'd like to call in, the phone number is 845-429-1700. We welcome your calls and questions. Okay. Go ahead, Jerry. So, Jerry, also, some of the things that we've evolved in, I was saying to George in the beginning and Lou, that really we started this uh, and now Rockland Green because all the municipalities had to get together really to get at the best price for municipal waste. But simultaneously, when that was going on, New York State 
passed its regulations on mandatory recycling. But Jerry, explain over the years how it began with paper and cardboard, glass, plastic, and cans, and it has evolved to what we're doing today. Yes. So uh, New York State uh, implemented the Solid Waste Management Plan at CD8 and required municipalities to come up with a comprehensive plan uh, to recycle uh, their waste stream. So uh, Rockland in the early 90s uh, started out with curbside collection program. Uh, at the time, there was only two facilities, private facilities within the county uh, to process that material. Everything else would have to be shipped, trucked out, out of the county to be processed. And in 94, the authority uh, through the act evolved, and they built the first material recovery facility publicly owned within Rockland County. Um, and that was state-of-the-art at the time. We were the probably in the entire tri-state area. We probably had the most sophisticated technology for the MRF. But now, uh, Jer, we're, what, 25 years later. And why don't you tell the public exactly what we're trying to accomplish now? So in 2019, uh, we decommissioned the existing facility that was commissioned in '98. Um, and we move forward with a design build uh, for new processing technology. Uh, we put out a procurement. We had three proposers, and we, through the evaluation process, we selected Van Dyke Baylor out of Connecticut, New York, and uh, we are currently under construction. Uh, the facility itself will incorporate the latest automated technology available today to separate Rockland's recyclables whether it's an uh, OCC screen, uh, glass pulverizer, five optical converters, separate the 2D from the 3D, um, and it, it will be state-of-the-art. It will be the most state-of-the-art dual-stream facility on the East Coast for probably the next five to ten years. And, Jer, now, it was very tricky for us because we didn't want to, of course, stop the uh, glass, plastic, uh, plastic, and cans. So tell them what we did. So in the interim, when we're rebuilding the MRF, we're continuing, but tell them uh, exactly how we're able to continue the process. So we worked with our partners at IWS, Action Carting, and uh, we went into a trans-loadout model, which basically means that the material is still delivered uh, to one of our designated facilities, whether that's Colmico container, mixed paper, or corrugated cardboard from a commercial generator. And it goes to one of three alternate processing facilities owned by uh, IWS Action Cardi, uh, Airmont, Jersey City, or the Bronx location. And uh, we've, we've been uh, in that process since, since September 19th of... Uh, 2020. And Jer, we really want to continue to, to do this, but uh, I'm not going to hold you to this. When do you think our MRF will be up and running? Well, I told the chairman uh, <laughs> a few months ago that we were on schedule and we'd be processing material October of 2022, uh, but I'll say I'll be more conservative now and say the fourth quarter of 2022. And we've, we've had a lot of challenges because of the supply chain line. Jared, maybe just explain that, too. Yeah, 
it is very difficult today to uh, manage a project and improve capital yes. uh, that we're undertaking mm-hmm. at the facility. We're at, we basically, I don't know if uh, any of you have had an opportunity to visit the uh, materials recovery facility at 420 Corn Valley Road, uh, but we, we gutted it out. We decommissioned all the equipment in the existing processing area, um, and we're adding 15,000 square feet uh, to the existing facility, uh, all new administration offices for our future operator, and uh, we've invested over $35 million. But now, Jerry, I think the critical part of that is, of course it's expensive, $35 million, but we had to do it because we had to go with the new technology, which is, of course, less labor-intensive. Maybe just explain that. Yeah, so the, uh, the Van Dyke system uh, is designed to have anywhere between 12 and 15 shorter uh, there uh, assisting in processing materials. In so we're going to have less manpower, right, Jerry? Correct, correct. In addition to the uh, improvements to the latest technology regarding the optical sorters, uh, two on the fiber line and three on the commingle container line, and the various screeners and magnets uh, associated with the equipment. Uh, the old system was heavily uh, reliant on labor. Uh, so we could have, at any given day, well over 20 laborers uh, within the facility manually sorting plastic by color. Your right. pet, your HDPE. Uh, the only thing that was really automated was the eddy curtain and the magnetic head pulley. Yeah. So over the long run, this is actually going to cost the taxpayers less money. It's just up front you have the capital expense, Correct. which, you know, it, it, we will recover. It's just that... It won't it, require the number of people anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? We're back to being the leader right now in the entire area with a MRF, and I think that's important because it's cleaner, the products will be cleaner, uh, like, it'll be more efficient. I think Lou is still on the line. It sounds like Rockland County is leading Westchester on these. Uh, <laughs> these uh, Seems uh, like it is. Yeah, still, <laughs> with, without they're question. They're still burning the trash over here. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> without question. I guess you bring your hot dogs there, Lou, too, right, when they're doing that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, I, I got a question. Yes. I, gotta, I have to leave in a moment. I want to, uh, and this is a little off topic, but I wanted to get this in before I have to go. Um, we have uh, a number of closed or capped landfills yes. around uh, the area in, in both Westchester and Rockland. I mean, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the preferred use, I understand, is to turn them into solar arrays as was so, done in Clarkstown. Yes. And uh, um, I want to uh, I want to know what what other uses we can put them to and what are the dangers. Well, uh, let me in... let, let me give a plug to Supervisor George Holman mm-hmm. because yeah. he went out and he did a very aggressive program with solar panels producing energy, of course. And you know, it is a perfect spot to do that on. But both his uh, sanitary landfill and the town of Havistra sanitary landfill we're probably going to turn ours into eventually a beautiful park for everybody. You have to remember, when we first closed the landfill, they told us, well, in 10 years, you'll be able to build things on it. Then they said 20 years. Now they're saying 30 years. I don't know if it's ever going to be able to build anything on it. 
But here's the good thing is it's turned into, in Havistra, it's turned into a beautiful park. We have the Hudson Valley Radio Control uh, Air Show every single year. Bruce Leach does a great job. But you got to remember our sanitary landfill now, the uh, Havistra Riverfront Park, has a beautiful view of the Hudson River. So in the wintertime, we get people going in there to, to really look at the eagles. We have a beautiful view of the marina. We have a beautiful view of really the Paul Piperato uh, County Park, uh, yeah. which you overlook. And you know what? You can't match that. Not every single open space, I think, needs to be covered with solar panels. And it's particular when you have a spot like ours. But I think George did it right in Clark's now, and they're making revenue. And uh, every time I talk to him about it, he's extremely pleased with it. So that's a, that's a good sign. And I know Ramapo are do, is doing things with their closed sanitary landfill. So we're all trying to develop them. But again, until the New York State DEC tells us what exactly we can do. I think they're mostly going to remain solar panels and, and beautiful open parks, which you know, you one know of the what, things, that's nice. One of the things we're, we're kicking around uh, on this side of the river here is um, the, the solar array and to plant um, pollinator plants mm-hmm. um, uh, among the, uh, uh, the solar panels you right. know, for, the, for the bees and all that. Great idea. Flowers. And then we put a, maybe a, a walking track around the outside so nobody's walking on the cap. Mm-hmm. But they are able to look at the pollinators. And, uh, well, I have and to tell you, advice. it's funny because, you know, uh, of course, we live in a very uh, wonderful area in the Hudson Valley, all sorts of animals. So from the chickmunks to the gophers, uh, we've had to go back in and repair the uh, sanitary landfill only because uh, the chickmunks start first burrowing in, then the gophers, <laughs> then winter comes, it gets rain, then ice, and it, they really have eroded. It got down to uh, one year, they did it so quickly, got down to the liner, it cost us $100,000 to repair. So, But I think you're right. I think using it as parks, uh, and depending upon the location, I think that's awfully nice. But if I may, I'd love to talk about uh, our household hazardous waste facility because I think that is one of the most amazing things that we've been able to offer to the people of Rockland County. Not only are we costing the residents so much less than taking uh, this type of waste to landfills, we're protecting the environment. And it has been used by Rockland residents tremendously. So I want to applaud when all you the say, Rockland residents. When you, when you say hazardous waste, what are you talking about? Well, you got to remember, anything like pesticides, insecticides, oil, gasoline, yeah. kerosene, anything of that nature goes, normally would have gone into yeah. batteries, yeah. would have gone into landfills. Yeah. That no longer occurs. But now, not only that, we're now taking electronics, we're mm-hmm. taking all types of film, uh, so we're doing an amazing it's job with this. To Rockland, right? I don't know any oh. other communities that are doing it. And you know are, what? Yeah. It's there every single day, open to them. Jerry, maybe you could expand upon what I was saying and embellish upon well, the other things we're doing at the household hazardous waste. Jerry, before, before you, you, gentlemen, before you do that, I'm gonna I'm gonna slip into listening mode and head off here. And uh, and uh, George, keep the seat warm, and, uh, <laughs> and I'll listen to you on on the, on the radio here. Thanks, okay. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, Lou. And right, Jerry, take just care, hold guys. on one Bye-bye. second. We're gonna take a quick music break here, and we're gonna come right back to uh, discussing the hazardous waste site. Hold on one second here. We got a, a song by Tom Chapin called Good Garbage. Tom Chapin, a Rockland resident from Piermont, uh, writes a lot about environmental uh, songs having to do with children, too, as well. So this is one of them.
so we can get one of these started. All right. I had a turkey dinner, threw the bones away. They hauled them to the county dump without delay. By the following Thanksgiving, they had turned to clay. They're biodegradable garbage. Good garbage breaks down as it goes. That's why it smells bad to your nose. Bad garbage grows and grows and grows. Garbage is supposed to decompose. Styrofoam is bad, it lasts a thousand years. A packing peanuts born and never disappears. So crumple up your comics when you ship your chandeliers. Cause comics are biodegradable garbage. Good garbage breaks down as it goes. That's why it smells bad to you. Also buy the package Bottles, boxes, bags, and cans They end up in the garbage Half of all our cash We're spending on our trash For the sake of Mother Earth Let's get our money's worth Only buy, buy, only buy These are lessons that we need to learn, even as kids and even as adults, okay? That garbage. Learn about our garbage. Um, this is George Patanovic. Uh, you're listening to WRCR AM 1700 and WRCR.com. Um, my guest is Howard Phillips, the supervisor of the town of Haverstraw, and also uh, Jerry Damiani, who is the director of Rockland Green. Um, we're discussing the Rockland County hazardous waste site and, and the facility is very unique to this area of the country really and uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about what the facility does and how you can participate in uh, getting rid of of toxic type of things that you have hanging around in your garage or in your basement instead of throwing them in the garbage they should go to the hazardous waste site so jerry why don't you tell us a little bit more about this great facility yes thank you George. so the rockland greens household hazardous waste facility like the chairman alluded to um is the first time that residents really get a sense of the services that Rockland Green provides. The Household Hazardous Waste Facility is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. It is open on 10 select weekend days. 
uh, throughout the year. Uh, our next weekend event is actually tomorrow, June 12th, where, where they'll be op open uh, for residents to bring their acceptable uh, hazardous material. So near the, near the fire training center, people told people. Correct, 35 Memorial Drive in Pomona, New York. I know the list is long, Jerry, but why don't you give a list of the things that we take there? So uh, we take all liquid solids and powders, oils, latex paints, wood preservatives and thinners, uh, resin, spot removal, driveway sealers, antifreeze, motor oil, gasoline, pool chemicals, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, mercury-containing items such as the, thermo the old thermostats and thermometers, uh, tanks, uh, propane tanks and fire extinguishers, uh, propane tanks up to 20 pounds. Uh, we take all types of light bulbs, batteries, household... Jerry, I'm going to hold you at batteries. Can you just explain the critical need and, and the difference between the lithium and the, the normal uh, AA and AAA? Yep. So your ordinary batteries, regular alkaline and magnesium carbon zinc batteries are not considered hazardous waste. They're your typical AA, AAA, C and D batteries. However, we ask uh, all residents to make every attempt to recycle these batteries at participating retailers throughout Rockland or deliver those batteries still to the household hazardous waste. Uh, the reason why, uh, I'll get to that in a minute, um, and you understand the, the severity of the issue, uh, rechargeable batteries such as lithium and butt cell electronics, uh, they're really a concern, and, and they have to be brought to the HAW or a participating retailer within Rockland County. And you say, well, why do they have to bring you there? And, not, and the alkaline, ordinary batteries such as the alkaline, regular alkaline, magnesium is not just be thrown out because they're not considered hazardous. We're reluctant to let the residents make that determination because in March we had two fires at one of our transfer stations and it was attributed to batteries. And, Jared, just explain what the lithium battery normally is in, because I think some people don't understand where the lithium, where you find lithium batteries. So, like your button cell batteries, such as your hearing aids, um, I'm trying to think of another example. Phones, too. Uh, phones, I believe, too. Phones, yeah, the phones, they're sealed batteries, 9-volt batteries, anything that's rechargeable uh, should go up to the HHW because there's a concern that it comes in contact with the conductor, uh, and the conductor at our transfer station is the grapple loading this material and metal. Uh, it could spark. And, and so now all of those items, Jerry, that people are going cordless with now, so chainsaws, uh, the mm -hmm. weed whackers, even the lawnmowers now, those are all lithium batteries? Yep. So they all should be delivered. To, they're rechargeable. They should be brought to the HHW. And, Jerry, the electronics that we're also uh, recycling there, could you just go through some of them? Yeah, so homeowners, typical computers, monitors, laptops, fax and copy machines, TVs, VCRs, that could all be delivered to the household hazardous waste facility. However, you know, uh, New York State does have the manufacturer's take-back program, and we ask the residents to first look at the New York State D.C.'s list of retailers on their website uh, and utilize the services of the local retailer uh, be, before they come to our HHW. Uh, okay. However, they're, Go ahead. they're free to deliver it there. We're not, right. and you got to make two trips, but uh, we ask that they participate in the 
list the retailers that have a take back program available. Now, Jerry, explain, we don't take tires there, but we do recycle tires with the local municipalities. And normally we collect them and we have a company that comes in and takes them and they pretty much recycle them. They shred them up, Jerry? Yeah, they, those tires that could be put back into the market and, and the casings are good. They make every attempt to recycle those casings as retreads uh, overseas. Tires that are can't be uh, recycled, they're shredded. Uh, and one facility that accepts tires from residents and municipalities within Rockland County is the Haverstraw facility. Mm-hmm. Open Monday through Friday from 7 to 3 p.m. And, Jerry, George had asked me about the Sharps. Could you explain what that is and the fact that we don't take it at the household hazardous waste, but there is a program? Yes, so we, we partner with the Rockland County Department of Health, and SHARPS really stands for Safe Handling of All residential, Residentially Produced uh, SHARPS, which are your needles. Uh, so there are collection events throughout the year, um, and for 2022, the next collection event will be at the Hel- Helen Hayes Hospital on July 5th, 2020, um, and they can go and deliver their SHARPS. Uh, you can check the Rockland County Department of Health website as well as our website for additional information or call 845-364-2175. And, Jer, also in our brochure that we send out on the household hazardous waste, we have a wonderful paper shredding events throughout Rockland. And maybe just explain uh, the sizes, the boxes that you can bring, uh, what's inside the paper, uh, in normally office paper, and just, Jerry, also that it goes around Rockland County to the different towns twice a year? Yes. So uh, Rockland Green sponsors uh, shredding events, two shredding events for each uh, town within Rockland County. Uh, the next shredding event is in October, Rampo's October 1st, Orangetown October 15th, Clarkstown, October 22nd, Aberystwyth, September 24th, and Stony Point, October 8th. Uh, residents uh, within Rockland County or within those towns can deliver up to three banker boxes, which are approximately 24 by 15 by 11. Uh, it's not open to businesses or nonprofits, strictly for residents within Rockland County uh, to ensure that any documents that they have in their possession in their home can be like financial and medical right. private information, right? Right. But, George, with somebody like you, you know, love letters from your past that you <laughs> Letters <made>. to the town. <laughs> <laughs> the town of Havisher or Stony Point? Oh, the Point. town of Stony Point, you of better course. better get Jim Monahan on here. Um, right. Jerry, I want to ask you a couple of quick things. I mean, we're into different hazardous waste and stuff. But, you know, I have questions sometimes, and I recycle all the time. But, you know, you have a jar, right? Like, I have it in front of me here. You don't see it. But a glass jar with a metal top on it. Uh, do we throw that glass jar with the metal top on it connected or doesn't matter if you throw it into the same bin right so it doesn't I matter put it, in, put it in your green bin just make sure you rinse it and clean right. it out rinse and clean it out because we talk about contamination you mm-hmm. don't want to uh, contaminate the, the the supply right um some products unfortunately are made like with a 
with almost like a styrofoam out outing on the plastic, you know, like that you yogurt cups. Yeah. This is a this is a, a Chef Boyardee mac and cheese, which we mm -hmm. you know we use. But the thing is, it has a styrofoam seal on the outside. A plastic oh, cup would normally be no recyclable, but only the top, I think, which is a plastic lid, is the only thing that's recyclable. So yeah. sometimes products are being made that are that are really we, not. We you often get. I mean, Jerry, yeah. you and I just recently talked about this. A lot of packaging of electronics comes in cardboard, but they. They, uh, I guess, cushion it with styrofoam. Yeah. Now, if you can remove the styrofoam from the cardboard, you're fine. But a lot of the styrofoam is actually glued onto the cardboard. What happens then, Jer? Now, that's a problem. That, that's a problem because it, we will not have the uh, equipment available to actually separate that glued styrofoam uh, so better off not to, not to recycle it, just throw it in the garbage? Yeah. In the garbage. Yeah. We would ask the resident to spend the time to remove that. To remove it. Cut right. it out. So like a resident that has furniture delivered to their house, and, and most of the time the styrofoam is attached to those boxes. Cut it away. Cut it away. Yeah, yeah. yeah cut it away. Yeah. Make every attempt to salvage the, the cleaner cardboard and put, place that in your blue bin. And the cardboard that's attached or the styrofoam is attached to a small area within that cardboard box, that would go in the trash. Now, Jerry, I, I don't know if you have the statistic, but I just saw recently on one of the hearings in the Capitol that on plastics, I think uh, we ought to applaud America because when it comes to one of the big problems of pollution is the plastic in the oceans. Mm -hmm. But the United States, I understand, only uh, represents maybe one or less than 1% of that, that most of that plastic is coming out of Asian countries. So we're actually doing a very good job. Not that we can't do better, but we're doing a very good job on yeah. plastics. Well, I was reading that, that plastics, we only do about 12% of plastics. You know, I don't know. Of, of the plastics products. that can be recycled. And, yeah. Some plastics can't be. I see. But I guess the point in, in the hearings were, were our plastic is not getting into the ocean, right. and I think that's been a major concern yes. with people. Absolutely. Jerry, do we have any statistics on that, Jer? Not on any individual plastics, per se. Okay. Um, but I, I can tell you that it, the, the industry is fluid, the packaging industry is fluid, and they will change uh, and adapt uh, to the different economic factors that uh, they're faced with so they're being in New York State. I think is requiring now that some of the plastic manufacturers and beverage companies to be more involved in the recycling mm -hmm. to increase those numbers. Right? I mean, isn't that yeah, part Coca -Cola. of Coca-Cola? Yeah, yeah. Coca-Cola. You see it on television. They're talking about it as you well. You see on many of their bottles now. Yeah. It'll say 100% recycled plastic. Yeah. 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 So it's, it, everybody's getting involved now. And the styrofoam. They've eliminated those peanuts from the styrofoam packaging, uh, and also not using styrofoam for your breakfast sandwich when you go to the deli, they're trying to use alternatives instead of styrofoam, right, mm -hmm. which is not recyclable. Right. And that, that ban took effect this year, yes. January 1st of 2020, New York State implemented that ban. Uh, so we're moving in the right direction. Yes, yes, it seems like New York is. Now, Chair, we are doing just about every, I think, uh, aspect of recycling. Something mm -hmm. we haven't talked about is the grass, leaves, and how we encourage composting uh, and we've been doing a tremendous job with that. I know residents, after we take our leaves uh, in the fall over to the um, facility, that we get them turned over, turned into a beautiful compost, 
uh, which every single municipality receives back and that the residents can go and take and use in their gardens, uh, their flower beds. Explain the process and what we actually do there, Jar. So Rockland Green facilities provide really comprehensive integrated solid waste management uh, in Rockland County. Uh, out of our 11 facilities, uh, three of those facilities encompassing managing yard waste or organic fraction of what is set out to the curb. Um, so we have a leaf composting facility located on Brewery Road in New City. We have a, uh, a facility up in Hilburn. And then we have one facility down in West Nyack. And I, I have to compliment you because when you go to these facilities, you've kept them pristine and immaculate. You wouldn't know you would be walking into a compost facility. <laughs> but go ahead, tell about the process and how we get it in return. And, and that comment is, is a credit to our staff at Rockland Green, uh, the men and women uh, in operations working heavy, every well, day. Well, you know what, Chair? I, I think you touched on a very good point, whether it's on the composting facilities, whether it's the household hazardous waste, whether it's the transfer stations. All of our employees do an excellent job. And just maybe just state where the three transfer stations are located. So the three transfer stations are strategically located within Rockland County. When you look at the county on a map, we have the Haverstraw Bone Line Facility located in Haverstraw. Haverstra. You have the Hillburn Facility uh, Transfer Station uh, services the Ranico communities, and then the West Nyack or the Clarkstown Transfer Station. Um, and those transfer stations in the aggregate uh, processed well over 364,000 tons of municipal solid waste so, last year. Uh, wow. There's a lot of waste that is gener generated uh, within Rockland County. And, you know, so, the best effort that you have in place to increase recycling, uh, we continue to produce garbage. Jerry, um, I mean, the, the reason we're doing this is to reduce these items from the waste stream so we don't have to truck them to other places. But I'm assuming after the recycling we can do and the items we can remove, there's still obviously something left that has to be sent somewhere. Absolutely. So what happens when we throw something in the garbage that's not a recycled item? Where does that item go? And, and, and I know we're trying to remove as many items as we can from the waste stream, but eventually what happens with our trash? And, and, and not only the cost, but of course the environmental, you know, the, the, the CO2 that's released as we truck things around, we're trying to reduce the amount of CO2. So this is an effort for, in terms of climate change, trying to reduce the amount and number of trips we have to make to other places to, mm -hmm. to dump these uh, items. So can you give us a little insight into where, what happens to our garbage in Rockland in, in, after it's been uh, recycled? So when, it, when something's placed out to the curb, whether it's curbside recyclables, nutritional uh, paper or commingled containers, your yard waste or your, your garbage and bulk items, we already discussed what happens to the recyclables, yes. traditional curbside recycling. But the yard waste uh, that the chairman uh, spoke to prior, um, that material for years was landfill. Right. And, and now... Uh, we're able to recycle that material through composting uh, and turn it into a, a rich soil amendment that benefits and adds uh, minerals uh, to the soil and promotes growth. Um, and within Rockland County municipalities, we provide the municipalities at no charge uh, rich mulch and compost that they can come down and pick up, and they have locations throughout the county within their towns uh, and it's 
made available to their residents. Uh, so something that was traditionally or decades ago landfilled is now made into a beneficial product. And right. that ties into the reduction in emissions because all that material was trucked somewhere. Mm-hmm. It still is, but it's not trucked to a landfill. So there's economic savings there. When we talk about our garbage, though, our garbage, we continue to generate garbage, unfortunately. The best programs in place, you're, you're still reluctant somewhat on a landfill, even through incineration. Uh, so, Jared, the bottom line is then with that waste that we cannot recycle, it goes out curbside, uh, either the municipality or the municipality's contractor picks up the garbage on selected dates. They then go to one of the three transfer stations and then explain how we uh, gather the garbage and haul it off and where we're going with it. So it's a follow process. The truck comes on the scale. It gets scaled in. We take the information. Uh, They make a declaration of where it came from. They're directed to one of the three transfer stations, wherever they're going, and uh, they tip it on the tip floor. We inspect it to ensure there's no hazardous waste, unacceptable material as identified in our permits. It is then staged and then loaded uh, with the uh, large equipment, excavators and wheel loaders, into uh, trailers, uh, 154 cubic yard capacity, with a payload of just shy of 40 tons. Which we contract out, yeah, right? Correct, correct. Uh, we, in West Nyack and Haverstraw, we use Mr. Bolt's ink out of Illinois, and uh, for the Hilburn uh, facility, we use IWS, or Action Environmental. And then that that MSW is transported round trip 640 miles uh, to a landfill in upstate New York, mm-hmm. one of three landfills, either Chemung, Ontario, or Highland Landfill, owned and operated by Casella Waste. And the thing that we know, Jerry, is that we're going to have to come up with a long-term solution soon because these trucks can sometimes wait hours before they are allowed to get in because the line is so long to be dumping into their landfills? Yes, yes. So we're, we're currently in the process of exploring alternate waste processing technologies um, to uh, reduce Rockland's dependency on a landfill. Uh, I think we're always going to have to deal with a landfill, but not in the volumes that we send mm-hmm. currently. And we are looking at, at some of that now. We're probably in the incipient stages, but our consultant, Tino West, and his firm are helping us. We have some others helping us as well. And really, uh, what it is, is, is these today's waste energy technology the emissions are a fraction of what they used to be. For instance, when the Westchester plant first opened, their emissions were a lot higher than what they are today. So the technology is really developed and it's there. It's just that we're going to have to decide upon the number of tons per day that we go with. Uh, And Jerry, we didn't even touch on that. Um, We have such a great facility that we have municipalities that come to us from outside of Rockland, and that really helps offset the cost to the Rockland resident. Yep. From yeah, we, you know, yeah. Some of the other facilities that we didn't touch on is uh, we have a co-compost facility located at the, in Hilburn, 
Uh, and that facility, again, was built in the mid-'90s. Uh, the legislators at the time had the foresight to construct a facility to process dewatered sludge. A lot of communities uh, still landfill their, their sludge. Uh, Rockland has not land, landfilled any of their sludge since the mid-'90s. And, Chair, I mean, it's not the most romantic thing to talk about, but it, it we get this from every municipality's wastewater treatment plant. There's a residual that comes out after the processing. So we take that. Now, just explain to the, the public, how what do we turn it into? What product does it go into? It, it, we turn it into a soil amendment compost. Yeah. So we take in all the dewater sludge within Rockland County as well as some merchant sludge outside the state, uh, New Jersey and uh, uh, Long Island. Mm-hmm. It's a sludge to our facility. Uh, and then depending on the percent solid, uh, we mix in wood chips as an amendment, bulking agent. And then we charge one of nine bays at that facility. And then for, to meet regulatory requirements for pathogen and vector reduction, um, that material is processed. And then we, we screen it. We screen out the wood chip, and then it's turned into rich soil amendment that's used at sod farms, athletic fields, golf courses, uh, rooftop gardens in New York City. Uh, and Amazing. we make revenue for the residents of Rockland County. Jerry, we're, gonna, we're coming up on the, on, the, on the hour here. We're going to have to take a break. But I, I just want to quickly ask you, you know, uh, when you talk about taking items out of the waste stream, we're obviously not having to truck those items and pay to have them mm-hmm. dumped somewhere else. But what do the, what do the recyclables pay? And is there a fluctuation oh, in terms of, yeah. you know, paper versus aluminum? You know, is there, are the high item uh, paper increases and all of a sudden the demand is not there? We have only a few minutes before the top of the hour, but it, um, I'd let like me, to get an let idea. Let me jump the, in before Jerry goes. This is one of the most difficult thing. Uh, I mean, Jeremy is our director of finance, and this is one of the challenging things because uh, the market, the price on what we get for recyclables uh, – is all different in all categories, but it fluctuates. I mean, Jerry, in the middle of a year, uh, the price we're getting could drop because some of them are not contracts that go through the full year. Uh, and, and you know what? It, we're really susceptible to the market. So if the markets go down, our revenue goes down, and that's a direct effect upon the budget. Correct, correct. And, and, and like you said, it, it's part of the market, so it fluctuates month to month. And there's industry sheets that we go off of, uh, but for the fiber, typically within the industry, it's called the yellow sheet, and it gives the pricing at the ports for domestic and export market of your fiber, whether that be old corrugated containers, number 11, sorted mixed paper, uh, number 56, or mixed paper, number 54. All market-driven, supply and demand. Uh, Because of COVID, uh, the fiber market has increased and is pretty consistent. Uh, it fluctuates a little bit, uh, but there's no volatile swing. I have to say Jeremy Goldstein has done an excellent job when it comes to budgeting because uh, the one thing we really didn't touch on and we should say to the people of Rockland County is we are in excellent financial condition. And our audits have demonstrated that. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to suspend this conversation for right now. We're going to be taking a 
uh, a music break, and then a half-hour break. We're going to be listening to the Reverend Billy. But, uh, Jerry, you're welcome to join us back at 2.30. We'll resume from 2.30 to 3 o'clock if you'd like. But I want to thank you for calling in. You're welcome to rejoin us if you'd like. But you provided us thank with you, a tremendous Jeff. amount of information, uh, more than we probably could fit in an hour. But uh, I want to thank you for your time. I learned a lot myself. Whatever the chairman wants. You know, once you come back at 2.30, I'll come back. All right, you're welcome to. Uh, I'm going to take, out, take us off right now. Okay, so we're going to listen to a song again by uh, Rockland's own Tom Chapin from Piermont called Recycle, R-E-C-Y-C-L-E. Stegosaurus in the forest munching on some hay Laid down to snooze in a bed of ooze and sadly passed away Her body changed and rearranged as she sank beneath the soil And over time she turned to slime and then she turned to oil So she disappears for a jillion years till finally she is found By a guy named Bill with an oil drill who sucks her from the ground Bill pipes that poor old dinosaur to an oil refinery Where they bubble and boil and change that oil into stuff for you and me R-E-C-Y-C-L-E That's the way it's supposed to be The earth recycles and so do we R-E-C-Y-C-L-E from the late Jurassic, it's fantastic how our dino friend has now become petroleum and still that's not the end. With dino juice, they now produce a million plastic jugs and stegosaurus drinking straws and stegosaurus mugs. R-E-C-Y-C-L-E, that's the way it's supposed to be. The earth recycles and so do we. system works, things don't disappear. We turn sand into window glass and roots into root beer. We cut and mine and we refine and make these things and then use them not just once, not just twice, but again and again and again and again and again. If a dinosaur could see us pouring orange juice this way from a plastic jug we made of her, well this is what you'd say. It took me 80 million years to get to you today. So don't throw that mug, don't throw that jug, don't you throw me away. R-E-C-Y-C-L-E, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're just a link in the chain of history. R-E-C-Y-C-L-E, R-E-C-Y-C-L-E, that's the way it's supposed to be. Hey, I recycle this melody. R-E-C-Y-C-L-E. Use it again. R-E-C-Y-C-L-E. And again. R-E-C-Y-C-L-E.
AM 1700, WRCR, Haverstraw. Okay, welcome back. We're uh, about to listen to our episode by Reverend Bill Talon in the Church of Stop Shopping and the Natural World in Silvera D. Um, but before we do, um, we'd just like to let you know you can call back and, and join our show at 2.30 uh, for additional questions on recycling and uh, questions for supervisor of uh, the town of Haverstraw. So uh, stay tuned uh, and join us back after this uh, half an hour break. Okay, thank you. I missed it. I missed it, Kevin. Welcome to Earth Riot Radio. I'm Reverend Billy. This is the Earth Church. You know, a little known fact about superstorms, wildfires, coronaviruses, these billowing, high speed, evolving centers of energy. It's not known generally that these are great languages. They are speeches crossing the sky, crossing our lungs, rushing floods, gushing lava, words. These are speeches full of anger, sorrow, even laughter, language. A message to us that we do not understand. And who are we? Who are we? Middle class people from what is called the West. And we're trapped now. We're locked down, unable to go forward with what we thought was our destiny. Now we know we must reach out to our old enemy, the Earth. We thought we could conquer the Earth, and that didn't work out so well. Now, who do we know that speaks both languages? Years ago, when we were all indigenous, we knew the language of the Earth, but that's been centuries now. We have to hire somebody to act as a go-between. Well, scientists have found just that translator. And I have that translator in the studio church here with me today, master of our language, but also a speaker and listener to the wind and the fire of the earth, the raven. Hello, how are you? She will translate this earth church service in the next 29 minutes. Come on over here. Take this to the earth. Tell the earth that we're ready to talk, all right? Earth aloof, we're ready to talk. Earth aloof. Can you translate earth aloof?
And come on in here. Here's the raven. Back from your trip. We know that you went out, you flew into the storms and the wildfires and the viruses and the heat waves. And now you're back again. Tell us all about it. Mmm. Oh. I see. I hear you saying that you were able to go all around the earth the way the birds do by flying in the same moment the whole time. Time was not advancing the way it does for us with the hands going around the clock. Your wings were going around the world. You were staying in the same, whoa, we can't, I don't know if we can do that. I know we have to, I feel, I feel that your instruction is the right, but you see, we face advertisements all day. They say that if you have a computer and you live in a city that you experience 10,000 advertisements a day. And we're standing there and the, and the actor's looking at us in the eye, very beautiful actor, and the, the actor has shampoo or a car or an antidepressant. We are being pulled out of our present tense, our personal present tense, into the possibility of experiencing that product. But the thing is, you never experience that product now. You experience it when you've paid them and gone through the process of acquiring that product. So, we're perpetually in our floating around in this immersive environment of 10,000 advertisements. We're perpetually out of, not in, this body we live in. We're missing our heartbeats. We're missing our breathing. We're missing our mind. We're missing our eyes. And that's why we're not in the earth either, because we're not minding, experiencing, seeing, being with the earth in its time of crisis. We are the earth. The earth is our personal present tense as well. We're made of the earth. We're a part of that. But there's a wall now between us and ourselves. And you, you are the raven of now. You're teaching us to be all the way out there, all the way in here, in the same breath, in the same heartbeat. I know we can do it. We're on the precipice of mass death. We know that 100 corporations put 70% of the emissions into the air. And the, it's the managements of those 100 corporations. You could put them all in a banquet hall. You could put them right in front of you. We could do that. We know what it takes to make change. It takes our embodied nowness. It, it takes being real. That for the, the, those of us who are doing something right now, they're doing it with their bodies. They're locking arms at the refinery gate. They're laying down in front of the bomb train. They're, they're guarding the redwoods. It, it, they are doing it with their bodies. You don't do it with a database. You don't do it with a petition to a congressman. You don't, you don't do it with a, with, a, with, a, with a theory, with a marketing. You don't imitate the corporations, that's for sure. That doesn't work. Oh, my body's pumping out these words. I'm breathing right now. I'm starting to get a little bit high. You know, I want to know if this is effective. Is, is some, will somebody talk to me? I'm here on a little step stool here in our clothing closet, a little closet here, and above me is a ladder that goes up to the roof of our apartment. And I've got 
seven pink suits here hanging. Uh, <laughs> Revbilly.com. R-E-V-B-I-L-L-Y.com. That's our website. The church website has an email function in it. Please talk to me, will you? I know, I know that right now in the earth church, we have to, part of being ourselves again and getting out of that stuck middle distance place that the corporations are able to put us for their profits. To get back into the, the earth and get back into our body. There's a, there's a time when we have to face the facts and that's now. It's time. It's time for the earth news. Savi. Hello, welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. Chemicals found in sunscreen lotions are accumulating in Mediterranean seagrass. Scientists discovered ultraviolet filters in the stems of Posidonia oceanica, a seagrass species found on the coast of Majorca and endemic to the Mediterranean Sea. The researchers believe the contamination is the result of recreational activities and waste discharges in the tourist destination. Samples found varying concentrations of sunscreen components, including oxybenzone, benzophenone 4, and methylparabens. While the full impact of these chemicals on seagrass remains unknown, the researchers are concerned about potential harmful effects. A meadow's lush array of flowers needs a full phalanx of bees to pollinate them, far more than just the honeybees and bumblebees that most people are familiar with, according to a new study. Previous research on bees as pollinators tended to focus on specific plants, frequently crops, or on entire communities of plants as if they were a single entity. This tended to overemphasize the contribution of the most common bees, especially since 2% of the bee species provided 80% of the pollination in crops. No previous work had asked the basic question, how many pollinator species are needed to pollinate all the species in a given community of plants? Scientists have now shown that the more plant species there are, the more bee species are needed for pollination. They found that the less common bees often visited specific plants others did not. Their findings shed new light on the role of rare species in ecosystems, critical to conservation efforts because rare species are most at risk of extinction from habitat loss, pollution, climate change, and other factors. In a study on metal concentrations in U.S. community water systems and patterns of inequalities, researchers found that metal concentrations were particularly elevated in water systems serving semi-urban Hispanic communities independent of location or region, highlighting environmental justice concerns. These communities had the highest levels of uranium, selenium, barium, chromium, and arsenic concentrations. Even at low concentrations, uranium in particular represents an important risk factor for the development of chronic diseases. Until now, little epidemiological research has been done on chronic water uranium exposures. Uranium has been underappreciated in the literature as a public drinking water contaminant of concern. Children differ dramatically from adults in their moral views on animals, new research shows. Researchers asked children aged 9 to 11 about the moral status and treatment of farm animals like pigs, pets like dogs, and people. Researchers analyzed a fist-sized rock from Quebec, Canada, estimated to be about 3.75 and 4.28 billion years old. Previously, the team found tiny filaments, knobs, and tubes in the rock, which appeared to have been made by bacteria. 
The structures date about 300 million years earlier than what is more commonly accepted as the first sign of ancient life. After extensive further analysis of the rock, the team have discovered a much larger and more complex structure, a stem with parallel branches on one side that is nearly a centimeter long, as well as hundreds of distorted spheres or ellipsoids alongside the tubes and filaments. The researchers say that while some of the structures could conceivably have been created through chance chemical reactions, the tree-like stem with parallel branches was most likely biological in origin, as no structure created via chemistry alone has been found like it. These findings have implications for the possibility of extraterrestrial life. If life is relatively quick to emerge, given the right conditions, this increases the chance that life exists on other planets. The smell of geosmin is unmistakable. It permeates the air after a summer rain squall or fills the nose while gardening. It is the earthy smell of wet soil. But as a new study just published in the journal Applied and Environmental Microbiology points out, that smell has a particular purpose. It is made by certain kinds of bacteria that are known toxin producers. This acts as a warning to C. elegans, a common type of worm, that the bacteria they are about to graze on is poisonous. Just a few millimeters long, nematodes like C. elegans are found all over the Earth, including Antarctica. Nematodes are the most abundant animal on Earth, accounting for about four-fifths of the global animal population. The chemical released by the bacteria is an aposomatic signal that triggers the blindworm's sense of taste, just like a caterpillar's bright colors or a pufferfish spines tell a sighted predator to stay away. Aposematism signals may take the form of conspicuous coloration, sounds, odors, or other perceivable characteristics. They are beneficial for both predator and prey, since both avoid potential harm. Climate change made the record-smashing deadly 2020 Atlantic hurricane season noticeably wetter, a new study says, and it will likely make this season rainier too. Human-caused climate change made the entire season 30 named storms drop 5% more rain. During the 14 storms that reached hurricane status, the rainfall was 8% heavier, according to the study in Nature Communications. There are now 50,000 known different species of spider on Earth, the World Spider Catalog announced this week, and there might be another 50,000 yet to be discovered. The World Spider Catalog, based at the Natural History Museum of Bern in the Swiss capital, said the 50,000th spider registered is the Gyurius mignano, which belongs to the Saltidaceae family of jumping spiders and hunts its prey on shrubs and trees in southern Brazil, Uruguay, and around Buenos Aires. The first scientific description of a spider was in 1757. Spiders are the most important predators in Earth's terrestrial habitats, and their ecological significance should not be underestimated, the museum said. Consuming some 400 to 800 million metric tons of insects every year, they are the most important regulators of insect populations. Accordingly, they are also of fundamental importance to humans. A new study has found tiny plastic particles no bigger than sesame seeds buried throughout human lungs, indicating that people are inhaling microplastics lingering in the air. While previous research has found microplastics in lung tissue gathered from cadavers, this is the first to locate plastic particles in the lungs of living humans. For this study, scientists collected tissue samples from 13 patients undergoing surgery, finding microplastics in 11 of these patients. Polypropylene, which is used in plastic packaging, and PET, which is used in disposable plastic bottles, were the most prevalent forms of plastic. 
In addition to inhaling microplastics, humans are ingesting plastic particles in their food and drinking water. A recent study found microplastics floating in human blood with potentially harmful and lasting effects. And now the sounds of extinction. War. From 1950 to 2000, more than 80% of the world's major armed conflicts took place in biodiversity hotspots, areas that are rich in native species but under threat. War is destructive. The Black Sea Biosphere Reserve on the southern coast of Ukraine is a haven for migrating birds. More than 120,000 birds winter on its shores from over 300 species, including rare species, the white-tailed eagle, red-breasted merganser, and black-winged stilt. The reserve is also home to the endangered sandy blind mole rat, the Black Sea bottlenose dolphin, rare flowers, countless mollusks, dozens of species of fish, and in recent weeks, an invading military. Today, the territory of the reserve is occupied by Russian troops, and there is no information on environmental losses. Conflict fires in the Black Sea Biosphere Reserve were detectable from space. And here, the sounds of the Black Sea. was a distraction as the end of the world approached that there were still such great sales. New and improved Apple apps, survivalist yoga techniques, drowning Elmo toys, all kinds of things. The tsunamis and heat waves, flash floods, volcanoes, hurricanes bounced on the horizon like Looney Tunes. The accelerating apocalypse got us hot. The really bad disasters were all available on pay-per-view. What didn't kill us made us watch. You could take a mile-wide tornado off the shelf, hit a button, watch it drop into the city, and wow, it was like watching Lady Gaga do the splits in a dress made of flank sticks. You can say one thing about the humans. We were a species that scribbled, texted, hologrammed, and burst a blood vessel of pixels in the final years of modern life. If the revolution wasn't televised, the end of the world certainly was. Millions of movies were found on mounds of stinking corpses, still flickering on screens through cold, grasping fingers. Of the six known mass extinctions on Earth, this was the self-conscious one, produced and consumed in high-def, broad color with advanced compression algorithms. 
The End of the World was the storyline of all the best-selling books and movies. In its own way, this was the perfect happy ending. The media was made, completed, and shipped to consumers. The end was casually tagged to be continued. A kind of eternity was claimed. Products have the power to survive, and you can join them beyond the storms and fires and floods. No money town. This sustained a certain giddiness in the culture, but it was not a pretty sight the day the humans went into the ditch. The bitterness had become embarrassing. Homeowners fumed at the coyotes and cockroaches that poured through the front doors of their suburban palaces as they packed their SUVs for the final drive. This isn't fair. We've been betrayed by nature. That was a favorite kvetch, as if the new predators were going off script. And speaking of predators, why hadn't the United States of America already saved the world? The USA was supposed to be the hero. We've seen it a thousand times. In fact, some consumers thought the world was saved, but they were on the wrong channel. So death was denied, and dying was purchased with relish. The old pre-apocalyptic approach to death wasn't as good for business as the disaster market, whose growth could only end when every last shopper was grotesquely, operatically dead. Where are the consumers? Oh, the consumers consumed the consumers. Well, what do you do? You stop watching, stop shopping, you get away. How do you get away? You run across a field and keep running. Join the animals. to me. Message coming from all those heartbeats, orgasms, cancer, nightmare, tenderness. I know I want to surface. Forest. Oh, I want to love you. 
love you so much, I destroy the word love. Love you so much, I destroy the word love. half hour, this Earth Riot Radio half hour, which we call the Earth Church. By the way, we have, here in New York, in the East Village, we have our Earth Church. It's a storefront. Well, it's an unrented bank branch <laughs> that has been given to us by a supporter. And when it is rented to somebody, another bank maybe, we'll have to move out, but we have it for a period of time. Somebody give me an earth hallelujah here. Well, thank you, Reverend Billy and the Earth Riot Radio and the Church of Stop Shopping and Salvatry D with news from the natural world. This is George Patanovic. Uh, this is Tough Times with Lou Young on WRCR AM 1700 and WRCR.com. I am George Patanovic sitting in for Lou Young with my guest, town supervisor, uh, town of the, uh, supervisor of the town of Havistraw. Howard Phillips, and also chairman of the Rockland Green, and I believe we're also going to be joined by the executive director of Rockland Green, Jerry Damiani, uh, to continue our discussion on, um, on trash, how we get rid of it, the recycling, 
Uh, and we're willing to take your, we're very interested in your questions. What questions do you have about your recycling? Do you ever stand there with an item in your hand and say, how do I recycle this? Uh, please give us a call. The phone number is 845-429-1700. We'd welcome your call and to become part of the discussion. Okay, well, thank Howard. you, George, uh, for this opportunity. I think we've covered a lot of information about how Rockland Green works, uh, literally taking everything from glass, plastic, cans, uh, paper, cardboard, electronics, insecticides, pesticides, everything in the stream from grass, leaves, even the waste that after you flush your toilet and that gets processed and it leaves a residual, even that gets recycled. So we are really heading down the road now to probably the, the final items that we can recycle. And that, of course, is the bios and your more better known as your food recyclables. Uh, Jerry, are you there? Yes, I am. So, Jerry, the New York State uh, legislature and signed by the governor passed into effect uh, starting January 1st of this year a new regulation that anybody producing, what is it, 4,000 tons of biosolids a week, is it, George, uh, Jerry? It's, it's 4,000 pounds, two, two tons uh, per week on an annual average. Uh, they're required to separate uh, their food scraps uh, and deliver that, that separated material to a, a facility within a 25-mile radius. So, Jared, that's going to be mostly supermarkets, uh, producer, commercial producers of uh, food goods. Uh, who else, Jerry? Anybody else that fits into that category? Large supermarkets, which already have a uh, program in place, and they've had a program in place capturing excessive uh, food scraps, uh, spoiled foods, um, universities. Um, schools, cases, all of our exempt. Um, now, we had an opportunity, Jerry, this past year. Uh, I know you went to a couple more than I did, but we went out to Pennsylvania, and uh, Supervisor Homan was with us, um, uh, the Rockland County Sewer District, the Executive Director, uh, Mike, geez, I'm forgetting his last name, Jerry, help me out here. Uh, the executive director of the sewer district, but he was. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, I just threw a blank. Too. George is going to kill me, but he was he was with us, and we saw an operation uh, that this town was doing, and they were taking in a lot of commercial uh, food uh, items, and they had a uh, machine that the technology has developed that rips apart the containers, whether it be plastic containers, it would be cardboard containers, but we saw everything from food chips to yogurt to uh, dairy products uh, to anything, and it was all being fed into a digester with wastewater. Can you just explain that process and how it's turned into energy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and the executive director for the Rock County Sewer District, Mike Saber. Mike Saber. How do you forget a name like Saber? <laughs> But yeah, uh, so what we what we saw when we visited uh, some of the anaerobic digestion uh, facilities uh, outside of New York, uh, they pre-process uh, pre uh, the organic waste that comes in. They depackage it, uh, and then it, it's made into a slurry, and then it's pumped into the digester. And what we're looking to achieve here is clean heat and 
power. Uh, the organic fraction will generate the, the, the excess biogas that will be turned into uh, gas and power the wastewater treatment plant or offset the uh, energy uh, utility utilization uh, that's required down at the local wastewater treatment plant. So now, it's something. Now, Mike's, uh, he is Sewer District 1, and they already have a digester. They uh, collect from the towns of Clarkstown and Rambopo, and I think a small portion of Orangetown. But he showed us his facility, which is pretty amazing. But the idea is really to mix the two together, the wastewater and these biosolids, and then it goes into what you refer to as the digester. And there, what happens? Are gases produced, Jared? Gases produced, and then they take that gas, they clean it up, and they inject it into uh, their system or their generators on site uh, to offset their utility utilization. Uh, so there's substantial benefits, uh, you know, with reduction on fossil fuels, natural gas, because they produce uh, clean horsepower. Yes, there. it's usable. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it's very usable. Yes, yes. Now, Jerry, that's, you know, that's a long way off for us getting everybody and really the quantity of waste that we need. Uh, we have the wastewater, but we really need to get more of the biosolids, the waste that goes out that we don't recycle. But, Jerry, we did work with the town of Orangetown supervisor, Kenny, and she came to us, and we were a little afraid at first. We, we couldn't help her. Uh, but you were able to come up with a way in which we could do something that wasn't going to be so labor-intensive. Uh, I know it's less than 1% of the people that are, are using it in, in Orangetown, but still, it's a beginning. And uh, why don't you tell the, our audience uh, how you came up so we didn't have to have a guy standing there ripping open uh, plastic bags. Hmm. So uh, w when we speak of uh, some of the uh, hindrance of implementing a food scrap collection program, we look at our existing system. Uh, we're permitted to accept food scraps at our co-compost facility, but our facility there, the equipment, the technology uh, there with respect to the agitators that manipulate the dewatered sludge uh, would have an issue with the plastic bag similar to how we discussed earlier at the Merck. They wrap around the shaft and it's maintenance intense to remove mm -hmm. the bag, plastic bag. So we came across a, uh, a craft bag, a craft line bag made in Canada through a company called Bag to Earth and they actually provided us over 100,000 bags, a 1.5 gallon bag uh, to incorporate into the pilot. So we partnered with Orangetown, and uh, <clears throat> uh, we implemented a food scrap drop-off facility location adjacent to their DPW. And, uh, again, it, it's baby steps, uh, and we're collecting data. Um, there is uh, growing participation, uh, and we will continue to collect that data to see what are the pros and cons with implementing a food scrap collection program within the county. Uh, and we'll utilize that data to analyze it and hopefully uh, incorporate additional towns um, if they choose to and, and uh, want to participate, uh, providing that service to their residents. How, how, big, uh, 
how big an opportunity is food as a, as a food waste as well as expired food and, and things that have to be, you know, either tossed in the trash or recycled? How, what kind of an opportunity is that out of the waste stream right now? Because we're not really doing as much of that as we'd like to, right? Mm -hmm. No, it, it constitutes just under 30% of wow. what's in our current waste stream right now. Wow. The only good thing is is that it's biodegradable mm -hmm. if you take it out of the, whatever container it's in. Right. But, Jerry, let's just go back and walk through the whole stream. So if w what we foresee in the future is using these lined bags, and, and again, it's it's a liner that's made of more, made from, I believe, vegetables, Jerry? It's, it's a natural cellulose liner made okay. from... So we can throw the whole bag in. But, Jerry, now there's also, we looked at containers mm -hmm. so that on a weekly basis, uh, somebody may have this container under their sink and each night take the paper bag and put it in there. These containers, just describe them, Jerry. Yeah, so these containers are under the counter or on a countertop. Um, currently, we're using a Yuck Chuck model, which is a 1.5 gallon. It has a locking lid. It has a bracket to mount it on your cabinet door. Uh, and the resident would uh, insert one of the uh, line craft bags to remove that ick factor of just having, you know, food scraps just dumped into the plastic container. Uh, and then based upon their volume, uh, by the week, uh, they, they transfer that, that bag into a larger receptacle that they may have in their garage. It could be anywhere from five gallons to six gallons. And then they tra transport it down to the drop-off in Orangetown. Uh, they dump it into one of 25, 64-gallon coders that have a locking uh, a seal with a locking lid so the raccoons or potentially bear mm -hmm. can't tip it over. And then <laughs> weekly, uh, we provide collection of that material. Uh, and then that material is delivered to our co-composting facility. Uh, so, again, we were permitted to accept up to 20 tons per day of uh, source-separated organic food scraps. And then our partners at We Care Denali uh, actually go through the bags uh, to make sure there's no contamination. And at times there's contamination, and we've, we, we kind of controlled it and, and mitigated it. Uh, in the beginning, there was a lot of unacceptable materials, and... Uh, Orange Sound has worked very good with us. As soon as we notify them, they address it. They sell out and send out a, uh, a news blast, uh, and identify the contamination. And then that material is incorporated with the dewatered sludge, and after 50 days, it's turned into rich soil amendment. Mm. The craft bag with the southern liner breaks down. It doesn't cause any uh, increased maintenance cost to our operator. Uh, but if we went uh, countywide, we would probably have to look at a pre-processing facility that would separate any uh, contamination. And mm -hmm. contamination could be plastic. Uh, mm -hmm. It could be leather objects. It could mm -hmm. be the labels on the food. Mm -hmm. uh, so, again, it, I think that's why is critical. Jerry, I think that's why we take baby steps, too, because, you know, we're doing the MRF right now, $35 million. We're doing this, and you know what? Uh, we're getting people involved, uh, baby step at a time. And it's important, I think, for the residents to realize it's coming down the line, but we don't want to go full-blown until we have the ability to know that we're, we're actually going to be recouping because, mm -hmm. 
you know, we want to have the, an idea of what we can generate in money by producing energy from the gases. And at the same time, we don't want to overburden the residents, uh, you know, with something that they may not be familiar with. Uh, so I think we're heading there. Even the state realized that. Even the state said, look, uh, 4,000 pounds on a weekly basis. So we're all heading down that road. We're doing it carefully, Joe mm -hmm, George, yeah. and we're doing it, I think, very meticulously. Mm -hmm. It's going to probably cost us somewhere from eighty to $90,000 to do this program mm -hmm. this year. But you know what? It's a beginning, and mm -hmm. it's something that, you know, I think the mm -hmm. people of Rockland County can start to see that, hey, yeah, they are concerned with trying to capture everything within the recycling mm -hmm. uh, field that is out there. But again, it, it's smart to walk slow. It's smart to make sure that we don't waste any taxpayer money along the way. On a smaller scale, just a bigger, obviously the bigger scale, people at home that have expired food, uh, they want to compost, they should be composting in their yards, right? I mean, what can people do individually to make a difference? Jerry, um, we send out a brochure both we to just, kids and adults about composting. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we, we have a brochure. It's it's located and it's delivered to any of the uh, towns and villages with, and libraries and some of the uh, large uh, CVSs and uh, Rite Aid stores. Uh, backyard composting. And we partner with Cornero Cooperative Extension and we distribute uh, compost bins and rain ballots. And uh, residents can actively compost in their backyards with the use of one of uh, Rock and Green's compost bins. Uh, they can mix in grass clippings, leaves, kitchen scraps, mm -hmm. uh, fruits and vegetables. No meat, though. No. Uh, no mm -hmm. meat and bone in no. backyard composting bin. Well, vegetarian. Uh, <laughs> 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 That's like my family. Okay? That's it for me. Well, we will take the meat and bones at our co-composting facility up in Hilburn. <laughs> right. That's uh, but for composting, yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then we also have the rain barrels, uh, so they can capture, uh, you know, the natural rain that comes down mm -hmm. your gutters and uh, reuse that. Just, I was just going to say that th this is a, another exciting thing that we're offering the people because you can use those rain barrels really to uh, for your lawns, for your plants, for your gardens. And you know what? It's a way for you to save money at the same time. And it's a way for us to protect our environment by not uh, having such a demand on water. I know everybody, I grew up with a father who loved his uh, tomato garden, and God knows everything he grew was just amazing. But it, this is just a great way to try and reduce the demand, especially in the summertime, on water. So I think we're going to see even that be, become more popular as the years go by. Hmm. Cornell Cooperative Extension just took another delivery of uh, rain barrels and uh, compost bins. So I'm glad to see you're working right? with them. Uh, you know, I, I think they're an underutilized, yeah. though, yeah. you know, and I think it's great for people to great know about Cornell. They're in North Rockland in Stony Point, and I'd like to see them, you know, get greater exposure on some of these issues. I think they're Northern Havistro. Northern Havistro. <laughs> <laughs> North, I said Northern Havistro. <laughs> I miss Paul Trader. He was a great guy. He was a great yeah. guy. That's really right. hands on. Yeah. Right. They do and a wonderful Suzanne job. Suzanne Barclay now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Does a wonderful job. Yes. Yeah. So, Jerry, really, I think what we want the Rockland residents to know is we've been protecting the environment by taking things out of landfills. At the same time, 
we've been uh, really reducing the cost because it costs much more money to put this into all of this that we're recycling. If we put it into landfills, mm -hmm. it costs a lot more money. Mm -hmm. And so at the same time, we're saving the environment for future generations. We're really dropping the cost to the Rockland taxpayer, mm -hmm. saving them literally millions of dollars mm -hmm. over the years. And we haven't finished. We're still evolving. We're still moving down the road to do more exciting things, I think, in Rockland County. But on a whole, I think Rockland has been uh, very good and has embraced recycling in mm -hmm. all the waste streams. We seem to have plateaued uh, recently. And, and, Jerry, we hired a person mm -hmm. uh, with our staff who's going to work with our staff. Uh, really to go out there and try and uh, increase the numbers on all recycling. Mm -hmm. To me, paper should be the easiest thing mm -hmm. that people should be recycling. Uh, it, it's, it's not something you have to rip apart. It's not something mm -hmm. you have to fold apart. You can put them in these containers. Right. And Jerry, also all the containers, we get uh, state grants uh, for that as well. We're very aggressive yes, on grants. Yep. Yes, we do. And, Jerry, what are some of the other state grants that we secure? Uh, recycling Education Outreach Coordinator. Uh, we, we go after uh, the Household Hazardous Waste Grant, uh, providing uh, subsidy uh, to operate that facility. Um, over the years, they've uh, you know, held back on some funding related to e-waste. Uh, used oil, uh, so the state is been reluctant to provide additional funds uh, for the, that, those materials because they ask you to participate in their retailer's take-back program. You know, it seems like one area, if I'm not mistaken, by reading uh, the chart that's on your website, uh, the schools could really make some improvements in terms of uh, recycling, right? I mean, they're not well, That's doing one what, of the entities you know, we're going to be going out yeah, to. Yeah, especially we, for the kids yep. to learn about yes. this and the teachers to teach about it. Right. I mean, this is an important part the, of it. It should be recycling basket and container mm -hmm. in every single classroom. Yeah. So not only the schools, um, the multifamily sometimes can be a oh, challenge, right. only because many of uh, the complexes were built before we did recycling. So there was never an area for them to put a container, because sometimes you need very large mm -hmm. containers. Mm -hmm. So we're working on multifamily multi housing, apartment complexes, Good. condominiums, so, and it, it doesn't matter the income. All of them, we need to improve upon getting that percentage up much higher. The schools, another one, um, you know, sometimes hospitals. Hospitals have a much more difficult challenge mm -hmm. because of the type of waste type that of waste goes out, though. Yeah. So we're working on all of them. We have had a very good response from businesses. I think probably because they realize that it's cheaper for them to recycle than it is to throw it in their, or their waste. So that has been very good as well, Jerry. I would say we're, we're doing good with businesses. We always want to improve, though. Yes, there's, there's always room to improve in any program. Uh, you look at EPA statistics and, and some other statistics from the Recycle Partnership where it says an average family of 3.5 individuals should generate uh, 1,000 pounds of recyclable. And if you equate that to the number of households in Rockland County and most recent uh, census data, there's room for improvement. And, as and the chairman, industry. we should also add that the cost of recycling is increasing. 
and uh, we are expecting a big hit probably in 2024, Jar. Yeah, well, probably 2024 is uh, when our current agreement with uh, Casella uh, regarding the landfills expires. We're actually engaged with them now, uh, looking to see if they would entertain a renewal under existing uh, pricing. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, right now, there's only 25 active landfills in New York State, um, and you're competing for diminishing returns uh, against other states uh, in the Northeast. Uh, and we, and we should and, say, even when we compete against like somebody like New York City, uh, they can push everybody aside because they have the greater, I should say, the greater the volume, the lower the price for you, and the easier it is for you to negotiate with these landfill owners. But if, if New York City were to participate, does that flood the market with a lot of material that brings the price of it down and makes it less cost-efficient no. for us, or, or no? It, there's, no. Plenty, there's plenty of opportunity to include uh, as much as we can. No, if, if New York City, if we're competing in a, against New York City, they, they come to the table with yeah. sufficient quantities of tonnages and, and the landfills that uh, private entities or municipal entities may look to engage yeah. will say, you know what, I can get it all from one from one entity at a much higher tip fee than what you're asking. Even if it was just one borough, because the population in both with residential and commercial buildings are so much greater than us in Rockland County. Listen, it's going to be challenging, but the bottom line is is that even if even if we break even. It, we're saving the environment for our children mm -hmm. and our grandchildren. We really are. It yes. makes a tremendous difference. Yeah, and put it in the minds of people that we have to live in a more sustainable way, that there's a responsibility that everybody yes. has to participate. You know, it's yeah. not somebody else's problem. You and know? the good thing is, particularly with our wastewater treatment plants, uh, we, we yell and scream about uh, the cost that the states place upon us without reimbursing us. But they've made sure that the discharge of the wastewater into the Hudson River uh, over the last 20 years has improved immensely. I mean, the Hudson River is so much cleaner now than it yes. was years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's true. It appears it, it certainly appears cleaner because we're not dumping in it. But the climate change we've talked about in previous programs mm -hmm. are affecting the fish populations oh, in yeah. ways that people are not aware of, but you're right. I mean, in terms of not using it as a sewer, which is basically right. what we did for many yeah, years. Many, many years. Many years. And it's great to see the work that you guys are doing. Uh, we're going to kind of have to wrap up yeah, uh, now, and I want to thank um, you know, my guest, Howard Phillips, the supervisor of the town of Havistraw uh, and chair of the uh, Rockland Green, and uh, uh, Jerry Damiani uh, for the information. You guys are so knowledgeable about this. I learned so much, and there even seems to be more that we could be talking about <laughs> here. That we touched upon a lot of subjects, but there could be a lot more. Uh, I want to thank uh, Lou Young for letting me sit in the seat uh, this week and, and, and uh, be a host for this program. Uh, and, of course, uh, I want to uh, thank Kevin also for being our engineer on the board. And uh, as he does uh, so well, we really appreciate that. So we're going to exit here um, with, a, uh, with a song by Pete Seeger uh, titled Garbage. I want you to know that's, that uh, Tough Times with Lou Young is on every Saturday from 1 to 3 here on WRCR AM 1700 and WRCR.com. So we encourage you to listen uh, and on Spotify as well. So here we are. Um, let's see here. Uh, have a great weekend, have a great, everyone. Thank, thank you very you much. Take care. Thank you very thank much. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.
Mr. Thompson calls the waiter, order steak and baked potato. He leaves the bone and gristle and he never eats the skin. The busboy comes and takes it with a cough, contaminates it, puts it in a can with coffee grounds and sardine tins. And the truck comes by on Friday and carts it all away. A thousand trucks just like it are converging on the bay. Oh, garbage, 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 garbage. We're filling up the seas with garbage, garbage, garbage. What will we do when there's no place left to put all the garbage, garbage, Mr. Thompson starts his Cadillac, winds it down the freeway track, leaving friends and neighbors in a hydrocarbon haze. Joined by lots of smaller cars, all sending gases to the stars. There to form a seething cloud that hangs for 30 days. And the sun blinks down into it with an ultraviolet tongue. Turns it into smog, then it settles in our lungs. Oh, garbage, 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 garbage. We're filling up the sky with garbage. What will we do when there's nothing left to breathe but garbage, 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 garbage? Getting home and taking off his shoes, he settles with the evening news while the kids do homework with a TV in one ear. While Superman for the thousandth time sells talking dolls and conquers crime, dutifully they learn the date of birth of Paul Revere. In the papers there's a piece about the mayor's middle name. He gets it read in time to watch the all-star bingo game. Oh, garbage, garbage, garbage. We're filling up our minds with garbage. What will we do when there's nothing left to read? And there's nothing left to need, and there's nothing left to watch, and there's nothing left to touch, and there's nothing left to walk upon, nothing left to talk upon, nothing left to see, and nothing left to be but In Mr. Thompson's factory, they're making plastic Christmas trees complete with silver tinsel and a geodesic stand. The plastic's mixed in giant bats from sun conglomeration that's been piped from deep within the earth or strip-mined from the land. And if you question anything, they say, why don't you see? It's absolutely needed for the economy of garbage, garbage, Their stocks and their bonds all garbage. What will they do when their system goes to smash? There's no value to their cash. There's no money to be made, but there's a world to be repaid. Their kids will read in history books about financiers and other crooks and feudalism and slavery and nukes and all their knavery. To history's dustbin, they're consigned to men with any other kinds of garbage.